Well, as we've got some people still exiting the stage, let me just share with you a couple of things that I am excited about. We've already started working on our Easter services for this year. And we believe that God is going to use these Easter services to just absolutely transform, change people's lives. So what that means is we need to do everything we can to get every person we can here on Easter Sunday. And then after Easter, we are starting our At the Movies series again. We're going to be doing that for four weeks, and we've already begun um, preparing for that. And, um, and I believe this year at the movies is going to be the best ever. Let me just remind you that we use this as one of our great outreach events because every first-time guest that you bring, they get a free movie ticket, you get a free movie ticket. I mean, that's a win-win. And so what that means is for four weeks, if you bring a first-time guest every single week, you get four movie tickets. It's incredible. You can go on two dates with that. I mean... That's, that's your dates for, for a month. And so let me encourage you to begin praying as we prepare for at the movies. But this morning I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15 verse 7. I, I got to confess to you that I enjoyed the animated movie Shrek. Now that may say something about my warped sense of humor but I believe with all my heart that that movie Shrek taught some unbelievable truths to us. Now, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's a movie about an ogre named Shrek who becomes friends with a talking donkey and who falls in love with a princess that he rescues from a castle. And after he frees that princess, Shrek and talking donkey and and the princess are going back to the village where he is taking the princess. And because it's a long journey, they spend the night on the way. And as they are sitting there around the campfire, Shrek and, and Donkey are talking. And they're talking about what life is going to be like after they return the princess and they go back to the swamp. And I want to read to you a little bit from the script. Donkey asks, hey Shrek. What are you going to do when we go back to our swamp? And immediately Shrek answers and says, our swamp? There's no our. There's just me and my swamp. And the first thing I'm going to do is build a 10-foot fence around my swamp. Well, Donkey's shocked. Donkey is hurt. Donkey says, you cut me deep. You cut me real deep. And then Donkey says, this whole wall thing is just to keep somebody out. And then they start arguing back and forth. And, and Donkey says, just tell me, just tell me who you're trying to keep out. And Shrek finally says, everyone. Donkey says, what's your problem? What have you got against the whole world anyway? And Shrek. Almost like a hurt child says, I'm not the one with the problem. It's the whole world that seems to have the problem with me. People take one look at me and they go, oh, help, run. It's a big, stupid, ugly ogre. They judge me before they even know me. I'm better off alone. Donkey comes up beside Shrek and and he says, you know what? When we first met, I didn't think you were just a big, stupid, stupid, ugly ogre. And Shrek with gratitude says, yeah, I know. 
See, for the first time in Shrek's life, he felt accepted. He felt like someone loved him without judging him. And that's what we're talking about this morning, accepting one another. And if you're new here this morning, you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, we're in a series that we're calling One Anothering. We're looking at the one another's of Scripture. There are over 30 times in in the New Testament that that phrase, one another, is combined with an action word. And, And as we read those phrases, we discover how we as the family of faith are to live in community with one another. We're told that we're to forgive one another, we're to pray for one another, we're to confess our sins to one another, we're to love one another, we're to bear with one another, we're to be patient with one another. On and on and on we're told how to live with one another as a family of faith. Now we've already talked about two of these. We, we talked about how we're to be devoted to one another, we're to be committed to one another. Through thick and through thin we're to stay together with one another. And then we talked about how we are to encourage one another, how we're to walk alongside one another in life, building one another up, holding one another up, helping one another, bringing out the best in one another. But this morning, I want us to talk about the thing that I believe is perhaps the biggest struggle for many of us, perhaps most of us, and that is how do we live in community with one another as a family of faith When we're so different from one another. And and let's be honest, we are different. We come from different backgrounds, different races, different political parties, different likes and different dislikes. We have different perspectives on a variety of issues. We come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. The fact of the matter is, we are different in a variety of ways... And yet, the Bible tells us that God has asked us. No, God has commanded us to live and worship and work together. And so the question is, how do we do that? And the key is, we have to accept one another. And perhaps this more than any other reason out there is why people come to faith in Christ, people become a part of the family of God, and then it seems like for the rest of their Christian life, they move from church to church, from family of faith to family of faith. It's because they, they either have a hard time accepting others, or they have a hard time being accepted by others. And here's what I know. If we don't learn how to accept one another in spite of our differences, we are going to always be divided and we're never going to be able to make the impact that God wants us to make. You see, we're called to be united, to love one another in spite of our differences. And when we do that, the kingdom of God is expanded and the glory of God is expressed. Now, if your Bible is open, look with me at Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, in other words, in light of everything I have been saying, 
And for us, it's what he's been saying in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, until Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given the glory. Now, Paul is very specific when he's talking about accepting one another. He says that you and I, as part of the family of faith, are to accept one another the way Christ accepted us. Now, when Jesus was here on this earth, he gave us an example of how we are to put this into practice. We see him touching the lepers. We see him eating dinner with sinners. We see him visiting in the homes of tax collectors. We see him sitting down at a well drinking water with a sinful woman. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry until the very end of Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus stepping alongside people and accepting them. And that's what God has called us to do. And then we look at our own life, don't we? We look at how Jesus accepted us. I mean, when Jesus accepted us, he he didn't say to us, all right, I will love you, I will accept you once you get your life right. Once you get your affairs in order, once you straighten up and you grow up and you begin to live the way I want you to live, I will accept you and I will love you. No, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus accepts us just the way we are. He loves us just the way we are. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 makes that clear. It says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus loved us and he accepted us into his family when we were rebels, when we were enemies, when we were sinning against him. And when we as a church family begin to love and accept in that way, we will see God do incredible things. Now that word accept in in the Greek It's found four times in Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 7. Four times. So this whole passage is about how we are to accept one another, how we are to put this into practice. The the Greek word means to to lay hold of, to to welcome, to take to oneself, to to receive. It, It carries the idea of of bringing someone into your home. It implies friendship. It implies opening up your heart. And so accepting one another isn't just a decision that we make with our brain. Accepting one another is a decision that involves the heart. It implies a willingness to live in relationship with people who are different than us. It says that we are going to love one another and live with one another even when we don't see eye to eye with one another. And so how in the world do we do that? I mean, when there are so many differences, when there are so many things that naturally divide, how can you and I live in a community where we accept one another. Well, in this passage, Paul gives us four things. First of all, he says that we've got to understand that not everything is black and white. Can I hear an amen? 
everything is not black and white. Now, some of you live in a black and white world, don't you? You're black and white people. It's either right or it's wrong. And there's no in-betweens, there's no shades of gray. And, and yet the Bible says that everything is not black and white. In Romans chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, you need to understand a couple of things about what Paul says here. First of all, he, he's talking about a relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not talking about our relationship with the outside world. We're to love those who are outside in the world, and we are to accept them as well. But the fact of the matter is, the relationship that you and I have with the family of faith is different than the relationship that we have with people in the world. The truth of the matter is, you hold your family to a different standard then you hold the world, or, or at least you should. Because in the family, we can say this is how we live, this is what we're going to do. But for those who are in another family, we can't hold them to that standard. And so Paul was talking about those who were brothers and sisters in Christ, and he says we are to accept those whose faith is weak. And so he's talking about those who have a faith and yet it's not yet a strong faith. You see, we need to understand that in the family of God, not everybody is at the same place in their spiritual journey. We have people who are new in the faith. They're babes in Christ, is what the Bible says. We have some who are growing in the faith. They're kind of like spiritual teenagers. And then we have those who are mature in their faith. And, and each person along the journey is at a different place in their life. And because they are at a different place in their life, they see the world differently. Babes, infants, see the world differently than teenagers. And I'm here to tell you that when you become an adult, and when you begin to have the responsibility of taking care of your family and paying the bills and doing all of those things, you see the world differently than your teenagers do. You see, as we are in this journey of the spiritual life and, and we're growing in our spiritual faith as part of the family, we're not all at the same place. And the problem comes. The problem comes when we expect everyone to be at the same place in their journey and hold to the same perspective on every issue. And that's not going to ever happen in the family. It doesn't happen in your physical families. My oldest son, John, who is the pastor at our West Campus, man, we can get into some real heavy debates on things. We see life differently on certain issues. We disagree. But we're still family. We're still family. No family is going to see eye to eye on everything. And Paul says to the family, we are to accept our weaker, less mature family members. Now, some of you will say, as you look at verse 1, see, 
The Bible makes it clear that we aren't to judge other people. I heard about these two friends who were talking. It was Nate and, and his, his best friend, Sam. And, and Sam went up to Nate and said, Nate, you seem to get along with everybody. How do you do it? Nate said, well, I never disagree with anybody, no matter what. And Sam said, I don't believe you. That's impossible. Nate said, you're right. (laughs) You see, that's not what this verse is saying here. The Bible doesn't say that, that we have to... Get along on everything. The Bible doesn't say that we cannot express our opinions on things. There are things that we need to stand up for. The Apostle Paul who wrote this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he had someone kicked out of the church because of the way they were living. Now, does that sound like judging to you? It sounds like judging to me. You see, this passage isn't saying that you and I as believers can never make a judgment about sin. But what this passage is saying is when it comes to the what? The disputable matters of the faith, we cannot make judgments. And so there are black and white issues, and then there are disputable issues of the faith. Now, the truth of the matter is, you need to understand that the Christian life is a life of freedom. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are living with a whole lot of freedom. It was that way in the beginning, in the garden. God created man, he placed him in a garden And he created all of these beautiful trees with beautiful fruit. And God said, you can eat fruit from any tree in the garden except one. I mean, man had all of this amazing freedom. You can do anything except one thing. Now, I don't know how you look at it, but I would say that's an incredible amount of freedom. Wouldn't you agree? God didn't say, these trees over here are off limits. These trees over here, you can eat. Now, these trees over here that are off limits, they're a lot sweeter, the fruit is. The fruit on these that you can eat, they're kind of bitter. But these are the ones I'm giving you. God didn't say that. God said, you can eat the fruit from any tree in this garden except this one. There's a lot of freedom in following the Lord. And yet we need to understand from the very beginning, God has created limits. From the very beginning, even in the garden, God created limits. God said, you can do all of this, but you can't do this. And from that point on, God has created laws. God has established limits. There are things that are black. They are wrong. There are things that are white. They are good. And there are things that are gray. The Bible isn't clear on those things. Some of the things that are are black in our world today that the Bible specifically speaks of. Well, the Bible says that sex outside of marriage 
is sin. It's not most often times sin. It's not sin pretty much all the time. It's always sin. Sex outside of marriage is sin. The Bible says homosexuality is sin. The Bible says drunkenness is sin. The Bible says idol worship, putting anything before the Lord your God is sin. The Bible says greed is sin. The Bible gives us some blacks. The Bible said these things are sin and you cannot do them. They're things that God condemns. And the things that God condemns, we stay away from. There are things that God condones. And the things that God condones, we are free to do. And then there are those shades of gray. The disputable matters that God doesn't speak to specifically. What do we do about those? Well, the Bible says that we accept one another. Now, Paul addressed two issues that were prevalent in the church in Rome. They had to do with the diet that they ate and the days that they worshipped. It had to do with what they ate and and when they worshipped. First of all, what they ate, verse 2. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. Another person, another believer with a sensitive conscience will, will eat only vegetables. You see, in these, these pagan cities, there were, there were temples to, to various gods. And the meat that you could buy at the meat market had been sacrificed and offered as sacrifices to these gods. And some of these believers that were coming from these pagan backgrounds who, were, who had worshipped these false gods were, were thinking in their mind, if I eat this meat that is being offered to this idol, then I am continuing to worship this idol. I can't do this. And there were others that said, well, there's no such thing as an idol. It's okay to eat, eat that meat. And so they were disagreeing on this. And Paul said, this is one of those disputable matters. There's no such thing as an idol. And so if you eat meat that is offered to an idol, you're not sinning against God. But if you think you are sinning against God, don't eat meat offered to an idol. And if you think it's okay to eat meat offered to an idol, don't force someone who doesn't want to eat meat offered to an idol to eat meat offered to an idol. And then he addresses another issue, the issue of the days we're to worship. Verse 5, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Now, as the, the meat that was worshipped to idols spoke primarily to those who were being saved out of a Greek or Roman background, the days that people worshipped had to do most often with people who were being saved from a Jewish background. Because the Jewish believers said that you worship on the Sabbath. And they said that you need to keep this sacred festival, and you need to keep this sacred festival, and you need to keep this sacred festival. And, and so they were saying, if you become a believer in Jesus, that doesn't mean that you don't follow these days anymore. And yet Paul said... One day is as holy as another day. Just because this is the day that 
you've always celebrated doesn't mean that it has to be the day that someone else celebrates. To be honest with you, every single day is holy. And these were these gray areas. You had the things that God condemned, the the black issues of life. You had the things that God condoned, the, the white issues of life. And then you had the gray issues, like eating meat offered to an idol, or what day are you going to worship? And the fact of the matter is, more often than not, it's the gray issues of life that divide us. Would you agree with that? Now, now granted, we don't make a big deal about whether we're going to be vegetarian or whether we're going to eat meat because we don't focus on the meat being offered idols today. And, And most of us don't make a big deal about what day we worship. We used to make a bigger deal of that than we do today, but most of us realize that's not a big deal. But, but there are these other gray issues. Can I give you some? And some of these gray issues may be the ones that you get divided over. First of all, school choice. Should my kids go to public school or private school or homeschool? And we try to make this an issue of right or wrong, and it's not an issue of right or wrong. Birth control. Is it right to use birth control or you to have as many kids as you can possibly have? That's one of those gray issues, social drinking. Should we practice abstinence or should we practice responsibility? That's one of these gray issues, tobacco use. Is it a sin to smoke? Is it a sin to to chew tobacco? The Bible doesn't address that. That's one of these gray issues, dancing. I grew up in a church where it was wrong to dance. That's why I believe Baptists can't dance. We just were always told it was wrong to dance, so we never learned how to dance, and so now we can't dance. My daughter posted a picture of our, our grandson in Nashville. They were at a, someone's house and all the kids were sitting at a, at a um, table and they were about to eat ice cream. And after they had ice cream, they got hyped up on the ice cream and they were playing music. And all the kids, these five-year-old down to, to 18-month-old, were dancing. Here's my son, Noah. He, he's standing there on the, the table and he's, you know, he's, I mean, it was sad. (laughs) Sad. I was thinking, we're going to have to expose Noah to some Methodists or some Pentecostals so that he can learn to dance. Because from our background, he's not going to know. Dancing, the Bible doesn't address that. Political issues. I mean, things like immigration. Should we have weaker borders or stronger borders? Should we have more government or less government? Those things aren't clear biblical issues, and we don't need to be divided over those things, whether we're Republican or Democrat. I mean, goodness gracious, there are people today that that have this idea that if you're one or the other, you must not love Jesus. Clothing and, and how we dress for church, the Bible versions that we use, the music styles that we have, Theological issues like the second coming of Christ or or Calvinism versus Arminianism. Whether we're going to celebrate Halloween or not. Goodness gracious. 
It amazes me how people argue and bicker and, and, and accuse people of not loving Jesus because they dress their kids up on Halloween. These are disputable matters. And then there's the things that have to do with like our hair length and tattoos and piercings. When we lived in Orlando, this is my son Jonathan. Now when someone saw this picture earlier, they were going, who is that? I said, well, this is my oldest son John. They said, no, it's not. I said, yep, this is my oldest son Jonathan. He looks kind of like Peter Frampton in that picture there. I mean, he had some locks. He had some hair. And what you can't see is both of his ears were pierced as well. And you say, you mean you let him do that? I did. And he's a strong preacher of the gospel right now. But here's the point there. Some of our dearest friends in our church left our church because of the length of my son's hair and he was on the praise team. Disputable issues. Do you see what I'm talking about? Everything is not black and white. And when you try to make people live by your shades of gray, you are being what the Bible calls legalistic. And I got to tell you, Jesus was more harsh with the legalist than he was with the wretched sinner. And so when it comes to these gray areas of life, we need to be very careful. And when someone disagrees with us on these gray areas, it's okay for us to have our convictions. Romans 14 talks about that. But let's not enforce our convictions and force our convictions on other people when it comes to the gray issues of life. Second, Paul says, stop judging others. That's God's job. Look at verse 4. He says, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? They are responsible to the Lord. So let him judge whether they are right or wrong. And with the Lord's help, they will do what is right and receive his approval. Now, what does it say there? Who is the one who judges on these issues of right and wrong? Is it you? No, it is God who is the judge. Another believer is not your servant. Another believer is his servant. And he is the one who judges. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have kids? Okay. Have you ever experienced this? You were with your kids in Walmart, Target, the grocery store. And your kids had a meltdown on aisle three. It may have been the cereal aisle. It may have been as you passed by the toys. I don't know. But as you were in that store, your kid had a meltdown. And you felt the stares. You felt the glares. And then someone came up to you and said, Well, this is what you need to do. What? i got to be honest with you. I've had meltdowns in life as a follower of Jesus. More than I want to admit. I've had meltdowns in traffic. 
I've had meltdowns in other places, but one of my biggest meltdowns was when I had someone else try to discipline my kid. Oh, my word. I thought the police were going to have to be called. I'm glad I wasn't packing a gun. I mean, I literally, I was a pastor. I literally about killed that person. Now, I didn't hit them. Someone intervened before then. But oh, my word. It ticked me off that someone else came into my life trying to discipline my kids. Now imagine how God feels. When God is our Father, He is our judge according to this, and we step in on these disputable matters trying to tell people how to live. God says, stop it. They're not responsible to you. You're not the Holy Spirit to them. I am. So don't judge others. That's God's job. Three, start judging yourself. That's your job. Verses 10 through 12. So so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. One day, each of us are going to stand before God and give an account. And I've just got to be honest with you. I got enough junk in my trunk that I have to deal with. To spend my time being concerned about the junk in your trunk. Trying to figure out, is it okay or not for you to carry that in your trunk? It's God's job. It's God's job. It's not your job to impose your opinions and your preferences on others. On things that the Bible is crystal clear on, yes, we need to step in there, but we do it in love. But on these preferential issues, these opinion issues, these issues that the Bible does not specifically address, we let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. We stay out of it. In verses 22 and 23, Paul says this. He says, you believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but, but keep it between yourself and God. In, in other words, if you think it's okay to drink a glass of wine, you think it's okay to, to dip your skull, you think it's okay to, to go to the, um, to the um, whatever and dance, then that's okay. On these issues that the Bible doesn't address, that's okay But don't flaunt your freedom. Don't go to other people and go, hey, you need to be doing what I'm doing. So he says that. And then he says, blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about about whether um, or not you should do or eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. 
For if you're not following your convictions, if you do anything you believe is not right, you're sinning. Did you get what Paul said there? Don't miss this. This is a big stinking deal here. What Paul was saying is that there are things that I can do and it's not sin. But if you do those same things and you're going against your convictions, it's sin for you. Did you get what Paul said? That's not me saying that. That's not some liberal preacher saying that. That's God saying that. God's saying there are some things that are okay for you to do. But if someone else does them and it's violating their conscience, they're sinning against God. You see, God has given each of us a conscience. And our consciences at times are set at different levels, kind of like metal detectors can be set at different strengths. I mean, you can set a metal detector where, you know, any little tiny piece of metal on your body is going to set that thing off. Or you can set that metal detector where perhaps those, those um, grommets in your shoes aren't going to set it off. And, and our consciences are set at different levels. And you say, why is that? Well, maybe it's because God knows us better than we know ourselves. Have you thought about that? You see, if there's something that is okay for someone else to do, but... Man, you feel convicted and you feel like you shouldn't do it. Maybe it's because God knows that you can't do this in moderation. Maybe God knows that if you do this, it's going to lead you somewhere else. For instance, drinking. We've already talked about this, so don't blow a gasket. You, you, know, you know I don't drink. But the fact of the matter is, if I wanted to go out and drink a glass of wine, I could do that and it would not be sin. And, and yet, here's what I know. I know that for me, it would not be wise, even though it wouldn't be sin, because I, I, I'm a person that does things to extremes. <laughs> and, and I've always been that way. And so it's very difficult for me to manage moderation. And so for me, some of these things that may be in the realm of freedom aren't wise for me to do. And so God maybe puts my conscience at a level where it beep, 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 beep. Don't do that. And if God's beeping me off and yet I'm not listening, I'm sinning against God. And the Bible speaks clearly in 1 Timothy about those who sear their conscience. In other words, God gives us a conscience for a reason to protect us from some things in our life. And we decide we're going to go against our conscience and do it anyway. Our conscience becomes seared. It's kind of like if you take your fingers and you hold them to a hot iron... The nerves in your fingers can become seared to the point that you no longer feel the heat anymore from an iron. And that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? If the, if the nerves get seared, then from here on out when you touch that heat, you can burn your fingers off because you don't feel the pain. That's why we, when our conscience speaks to us in an area, we listen to our 
conscience. And so don't, don't focus on whether it's right for someone else or not. Don't get into that debate. Don't worry about that. Focus on yourself. And then one final thing, and we've got to hurry with this one. Don't be a stumbling block. Let love limit your freedom. Listen to verse 13. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Now, a stumbling block is anything that causes someone to trip when walking. So a spiritual stumbling block is something that will cause them to trip spiritually. And what this is saying is that you and I should refrain from doing things that are going to cause our brother and sister to stumble. In other words, what the Bible is saying here is that we have freedom, but we also have responsibility. Now, when it's talking about causing a weaker brother to stumble, what does that mean? Well, well, let me look, look at me right now. Because some of you sit back and say, well, I'm a mature believer, and that causes me to stumble. No, you're not a mature believer. Look at me. If something someone else causes you to, does causes you to stumble, you're not a mature believer. That's the point here. Mature believers don't get caught up in this stuff. It's only the immature believers. And so understand, if you get all bent out of shape, because of the length of someone's hair or whether someone wears jeans or whether someone's all tatted up or whether someone drinks a beer at a ball game or whatever else, that's saying clearly you're not as mature as you think you are. You hear me? Because when it comes to these gray issues of life, it is only the immature who get stumbling, who, who, are, who stumble, who, who, get, who get tripped up. But what do we as mature believers do? What the Bible says is that if what I am doing is going to cause an immature believer to stumble, then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to limit my liberty because of my love. Now, does that mean I can't ever do it? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means I'm not going to do it in such a way or in a place that is going to cause someone else to stumble. And so if I am a mature believer, I'm not going to sit here, you know, with my Budweiser or whatever the beer of choice is. I don't know. I think Budweiser is nasty, isn't it? But I mean, whatever it is, I'm not going to sit there and go, your pastor can drink. That would be absolutely stupid. And I believe in my case it would be sinful because I'm causing other people to stumble. But if someone loves Jesus and, and they want to have that glass of wine in their home with their meal, there's not anything wrong with that if their conscience hasn't convicted them. And that's what this is saying here. You see, that's how we live in acceptance of one another. We recognize that everything isn't black and white. And on those issues that aren't black and white, we grow up. And we accept one another. We don't judge others. We let God do that. It's not my place to play Holy Spirit. That's God's place. We focus on ourselves and getting ourselves right with God. And one of the things that we do as we do this is we listen to our conscience. Because God has given us that conscience to guide us and direct us as believers. And then finally, even if we are free to do things, 
if it's going to cause our brother or sister to stumble, we limit our freedom because of our love. That's how we live in a community where we love and we accept. God gets the glory. The kingdom of God is expanded. We accept one another. Would you bow your head with me? The head bowed with your eyes closed. First of all, if you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that no matter what is on your plate right now, what is in your past, what you're involved in today, that doesn't limit God's love for you. God will accept you just as you are. And he loves you too much to keep you there. But he'll accept you just as you are. And so if you're here and you've never come to Jesus and experienced the love that he can give, I want to encourage you right now. Just humble yourself to God. Because he'll accept you. Right where you're at, with all your baggage, with all your junk. He'll love you, and he'll begin to work in you and help you to live for the purpose he created you to live. And so if that's where you're at and you need to give your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I need you. I got baggage. stuff in my life but I hear that you still love me in spite of my junk and today I'm asking you to accept me I need you come into my life make me new Walk with me. Help me. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. Right now I'm giving my life to you. Thank you for hearing me. Now for those of us who are already believers. I think the problem that we have is accepting others. It may be that you have a problem accepting yourself, but, but let's focus on accepting others for just a minute. I've confessed in the past that I have been legalistic. I have judged people in the gray areas of life. God convicted me. All I'm asking you to do is ask God's help to flesh out what he says in Romans 14. Accept each other without judging when it comes to the disputable matters of life. Recognize that we all must give a personal account to God. 
And never use your freedom to be a stumbling block. But use your freedom to draw people to Jesus. So if you're like me and you've had a hard time accepting others in these gray areas, just ask God to forgive you. Ask God to deal with you on it. Lord God, we want to be the church you want us to be. Lord, to be honest with you, it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. We want to be the church you want us to be. We want to be obedient to your word and what we do, how we live, how we treat one another. Make us an accepting place. Make us accepting people, I pray.